0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Hope Church. Money Hey, good morning. The 1030 is always way more vocal, okay, in my greeting. And I can imagine that for those of you online, I know you're probably screaming in your houses too. Good morning. Yeah. I'm so happy that you're here. My name is Ross. i one of the pastors here. And today we get to take a, a continued step through a sermon series called the Upside Down Kingdom, where we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a sermon where Jesus Himself preached it on a mountainside where he uh, delivered to both the disciples and anyone who had come to listen these very truthful commands. But in light of these, we've recognized through our series that Jesus is after our heart, a big piece of us that actually uh, encompasses the entirety of us in the way that we step into action. And so in this pursuit of our heart, as as we're transformed and give ourselves to him, we hand over everything through the way of our heart. And we see that in Jesus' words, he's getting to the heart of the matter in our lives. And so as we step into today, we get to take another step in a little bit of a different lens where Jesus is still getting to the heart, but yet today we're going to see some characteristics he uh, describes for those of us who would follow him, those who would be in his kingdom. And so what I would like for you to grow and learn today alongside me is this, that Jesus characterizes those in his kingdom as people who practice humble correction between one another and have persistent dependence on God through their lives. And we'll see those, both of those illuminated in Matthew 7, 1 through 12. So let's read that together. We're going to pray and then dive in. Matthew 7, 1 through 12 says this, and excuse me, I have that little cough for like the cold season coming around. So every once in a while I may like cough and I'm sorry. You know, the sound text, they try to mute me, you know, back there, like cough, no cough. No, they should try. I don't know. I'm just kidding. No pressure sound text, but I apologize for the little cold I have. So anyways, Matthew 7, <clears throat> 1 through 12. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's open in a word of prayer together. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. We bring our praise and thanksgiving to you. As we just did through song, and yet now, in the token of our heart, God, thank you for being so good to us that we're able to sit under the teaching of your word from you, Jesus. And today, as we see your words through scripture and hear them, may your Holy Spirit dig so deep and capture our heart and the fullness of our heart, God. May our ears be open to hear you, Jesus. May our minds not only be inspired, but come alive and be imagining what it looks like to follow you sincerely. And our actions would follow from the sincerity of our heart. God be with us, lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a really interesting time as a culture. If you think of it, we have the television now, it's in full color, and you can get it in just about any size imaginable, which is so interesting if you think about it. 100 inches, maybe. I don't know what the top size is. But either way, if you watch any live TV, at some time there would be a commercial. In these commercials, brands, they they pull together what's called a slogan for their brand, which kind of uh, shows the mission and vision for what they do. So here's a few slogans you might know. And let me preface this that I'm not necessarily saying you need to buy from these brands. This is just a simple Google search of some slogans you might know from these brands. Okay, you ready? So Just Do It is Nike. Got Milk. Actually, not so much a company, but the California Milk Processor Board. Breakfast of Champions. Wheaties. There's some things money can't buy, but for everything else, there's Visa. Just kidding. It's MasterCard. And you knew that. You're like, you're so wrong. It's MasterCard. Think different, Apple. I got to say this one correctly. I'm loving it. McDonald's. Yeah, you know that. Like a good neighbor. Wow. Wow. You know I'm gonna pray for us and close the time together. It's been a great service. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's good. You know this why? Because these slogans are powerful, inspiring. They're mission driven and show you what they can do for you and the way in which you, in turn, give your money in order to do it. So, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, and lastly, this one: Have it your way, Burger King. Now, every teenager singing that TikTok trend: Maybe hey, K, have it your way. You rule, right? Wow, how prideful is that? I'm just like recognizing, wow, not for the first time. But anyway, slogans are these intention getters, these advertising statements which share the mission and value of a company's perspective on your life. For instance, McDonald's, and I'm loving it, they want you to associate their food and the way you are served there with something that you love. Like Burger King and the way they slogan, uh, have it your way. You rule, they're, they're you know, off their slogan, they're showing you a desire for them to serve you in a way that you get what you want. And honestly, when you see the prices at Burger King, I guess it's also priced the way you want it, right? And you're wondering, how can a French fry cost that little? Maybe it's modified. I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into that. Anyways, but all in all, and I haven't even eaten at Burger King in a while. I don't even know how I know the prices. Commercials. Anyways, essentially, these are these characteristics that companies carry for their brand, for their service, for you to inherit as a consumer, someone who could purchase from them and recognize the characteristics in which they hold for their brand. They're essential to what identifies them, how they're shared and and transpired through generations even, and funny slogans and silly little things like that. But here in Jesus's words, we see uh, something way deeper than a slogan for our life. And for the command and call of believers who follow him, those who would be characterized by God's kingdom must be different. And there's a few phrases we'll see today that Jesus is really calling us to two specific things I'd like to illuminate with you. And just you see um, these moments where Jesus is calling us to some deeper characteristic lifestyle choices in which we much adhere to if we follow him. And so here in a few moments, we're going to read through the passage. You'll see Jesus deliver the truth and illustrate it, which helps us in context understand it and flesh it out for our own lives. So point number one, if you're with me, is this humble correction, the characteristic of humble correction. In Matthew 7, verse 1, it says this, "...do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you." And this is probably the secondary most famous passage behind Matthew or John three sixteen 16 and, and others in Matthew. We see this moment where it says, do not judge. And if you've been in context with those who follow Jesus or not, this is one of those passionate passages shared when maybe you are casting judgment or correction, right? They say, remember what Jesus said, do not judge. And we would hope that truly be the case. We would hope that truly be the case that we may not correct one another and yet we may fully understand it as something that in hopes Jesus is saying and commending our lifestyles in the way that we would like to live. Let's not correct one another for we can just live in our own ways and the Lord will do the correcting and it'll all be good. But yet in this illustration, Jesus says something particularly different. He illustrates in verse three, why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, as we understand in his illustration, it's not so simple as do not judge, and that's the end of it. Yet he's commanding us to do it in a way that brings humility upon our correction. But not that we do not judge, but yet when we do and offer correction, it's with humility. For what does the passage say? When you take out the plank of your own eye, you're able to see better to assist your brother with their speck. And I love these contrasting views of where Jesus is calling out the true humility we must possess, be characterized by, if we are to do this well and humbly correct our brothers and sisters. Because oftentimes we do the complete opposite and, and we feel the need to in our world today have a plank in our eye and yet uh, shame and condemn a brother around us who may be struggling with something a little similar, but a little less. And yet that plank tends to be a judgment uh, uh, wand that that smites them and hits them along the way in which you are not following yourself in humility, in your approach with Christ. You, you maybe read this passage and say, do not judge me, but like I can, I can judge you though, it's going to be all right. No, I got this plank, but it's no big deal. Like, you've got something far worse than me. I had a friend share with me just this last week in talking on judgment. I thought it so profound. He said, oftentimes we judge based purely on another person's actions. Yet we wish to be judged on our heart's intent, regardless of the action. Why might that be? We say easy on me. My heart's intent was different than the outcome action you saw. But yet we look and say, shame on you for your actions have condemned you and I could care less about your heart's intent because you did this. And yet what might be the root of that fault and hypocrisy? It's our pride and better yet, our spiritual pride which exists within us. If we remember in Matthew 5.20, the righteousness in which Jesus called for, he said this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so our flesh turns and our sinful ways turn to say, how can I appear as more righteous than those? To judge more strictly and opposing to myself. If I can help people see the gap of where I am to where they should be, even though I have a plank in my own eye, I can be seen as more righteous than they. And that's the spiritual pride, my friends, which completely destroys us, which completely shatters our testimony. When we live one way and call those that do the same, but yet recognize we're not willing to live it even ourselves to begin with. This improper judgment Jesus is speaking of in many facets of our life in the way of prideful, lacking humility is not only seen in actions, but also when we think the worst of others. When we only speak of their faults, maybe you've been on the other end of that and you can't convince someone to stop thinking and saying your faults. Or maybe when we judge a life only by its worst moments. And when we maybe fall into gossip or grumbling, someone says, well, they did this, they did that. And you sit back and say, well, that's just who they are. That's just what they are what you've done has fallen into grave, prideful judgment. Jesus saying, do not judge, but let yourself humbly walk. Recognizing your own faults and dealing with those, yet stepping into humble correction in which I'm calling you to, the characteristic you must have to be a follower of me. And And you think of it in so many facets, you know, In that way of righteousness, we can often walk through life and look at scenarios and say, you know what, God, though, I'm not actually uh, committing adultery with my wife and sleeping with another woman or man, but yet you're addicted to pornography and looking at images and things in which commit adultery within your heart, and you're sold out for them. You say, these are so different, though, God, and he says, no, the plank in your eye is causing you not to see, and the pride in your approach— is surely lacking humility or maybe at work you know i don't actually steal from the bank god you know it's all good but like you know i leave work and then clock out a few hours later just i need the extra money it'll all be good but i don't go to the bank and like take out wads of cash like that one guy did he's terrible i know he stole like physical money but you're stealing and the plank in your eye is is not allowing you to see with clarity the judgment you're casting in condemnation to someone around you. You're not walking in humility, but selfish spiritual pride. Like the Pharisees, who would do all they could in appearance and stature to say, I am better than you. Because look how different we really are. And what we've recognized so far is Jesus recognized their heart is but the same. Their heart is stuck in the same way. They're not taking humility to heart in which I've asked them to, in which I command them to in this passage. That humble correction is what the Lord requires of us who are to be characterized by his kingdom because we fall into hypocrisy when we fail to consider our faults before approaching others. Humble correction, my friends, so uniquely important in a world today that watches our every move. That it that is looking to the church and to the believers in Jesus Christ to pave the way, and yet they failed to do so out of pride, out of lacking humility in the way they bring correction and judgment, out of doing it out of the wrongness of their heart, out of failing to recognize the plank in their very own eye. And to be completely honest, that type of hypocrisy as we walk in the world today, we can shame the world for all they're doing wrong or our friends and neighbors who don't believe in Christ. But yet if they see the life in which we're calling them, commanding them to live and judging them for is not the very life we're convinced of living of, they say, well, what could really be different? You're the same as me. What's changed in you that should change in me? When we understand how Jesus walked humbly towards me and you, we get to see this new transforming glimpse of how we can truly walk humbly in our relationships with others. I think in Philippians 2, verse 5, it says this In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And I love passages that open with this great, inspiring wonder phrase, I call them, of like, you then wonder, what is the mindset of Christ within us? What what could be that thing? And it continues immediately. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider in quality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on the cross. In our relationships, to have the same mindset of Christ, it's to step into servanthood humility. And recognizing the plank in our own eye, which we must take care of before humbly correcting our brothers and sisters. Or even stepping beside them in pursuit of removing the plank. And as we see Jesus taking steps of humility towards me and you, what does the passage say? It says he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man. Humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death to the cross. I love that last statement because we recognize the severity of the punishment of the cross, but the finality of what it means for me and you to have grace and mercy, forgiveness of our sins, and founding of salvation through the workings of that very cross that Jesus humbly took on for you. When you stop and think and recognize Jesus walked humbly towards you, that you were the joy set before him to take on the cross and humbly accept, obediently accept a life of death to be raised again for you, we recognize by that power we may step into humility with each other. That we might, by any power of the imagination, have the same mindset as Christ, who stepped humbly towards us. Sometimes we forget to recognize God could have, you know, altered a different plan. My people are far from me, sinful. Let's just abolish them and get it over with. And let's just be done. They're not turning to me, but yet his love showed different. And Jesus humbly chased after you, that you were that joy out of the heartfelt love. You were that person that he desires to save, that he patiently walks with, that he graciously, with fullness of mercy and love, tenderheartedly, humbly, so much humbly corrects, understand the intent of your heart, forgives you for your actions, gives you another chance. Patiently, humbly correcting God calls us to the same. There is judgment to come, my friends, and the eternity to be. But in the today, grace abounds even the more. That as you recognize him walking towards you with humility, we may carry that to do the same with our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, and beyond. Point number two, if you're with us, persistent dependence. Persistent dependence. And this is that other characteristic that Jesus uh, enlightens for us here. And I want you to imagine something with me quickly. Uh, Imagine that you're at home. Okay, and maybe you get, I guess it's not so often you get like a knock at the door before a phone call, but imagine you're at home, someone's knocking on the door, right? And you're not answering, they're, they're ringing the doorbell, they're doing the both and. They're doing do, 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 ring, 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 you know? They're coming at it quick, they're trying to get your attention to open the door, right? And so think, like, maybe this has happened to you where you're at home, and you have windows in the front of your house, and you kind of see who's coming, and like, before they knock and ring the doorbell, you're like, okay, I was like, God 5, everyone down on the ground, Shut off the lights. No one answer the door. Pretend you do not hear it. Everyone be quiet. Kids, go to your room, lock your closets, all that kind of, stuff. you in the closet, whatever. And you're like, we're not answering that door, no matter how much they knock. You know, I'm perfect. I've never done that, just for the record. For the record, but, but in reality, we maybe do that. And say that next step for the person is they called you, text you, you've seen that, but you're refusing. They knock, they ring, and, and maybe it's a different scenario where your house is massive, okay, and it takes you 10 minutes to get across of it, all right? First of all, invite me over. I'd love to come for dinner, okay? No. Uh, knock on your door, knock. Maybe it's, maybe it's that. Maybe it takes you time to get to the door. I don't know what it might be. Um, for me, for us, it's like there's gates at every doorway, So it's not like we have a big house. It's just like it takes time to get down down there. It's like, how does this gate work again? And like, let's close it again so the kids don't fall down the stairs or fall on the... All that kind of stuff. But either way, say they start knocking and ringing the doorbell. And their next step, they've called, they texted, you're in the hunker down mode maybe or whatever. Is to go to your front window and peek in. Okay? And they start knocking on the window. Hey, is anybody home? They recognize... You guys are laying on the floor. You're either asleep, passed out, uh, dead, or do you, are, can you hear me? Like, plug your ear, I don't know. And then just knocking out the window, right? You would, in turn, well, one, be like, wow, you totally invaded my space, even though you haven't come to my house, but that's crazy, all right? You'd maybe have a different conversation. But in turn, 2 you'd be like, jeesh, this person's persistent, They're doing at all costs, trying to get in my home and talk with me. Or maybe you're like, I'm just that important. You know, I don't know what you'd be thinking, but either way, you're like, man, they're persistent. And persistence, what is that? Persistence is the ability to continue a course of action in a pursuit, even in spite of difficulty. So for a person to ring and knock and call and text and then go to the window and knock is persistence. So when I say persistent dependence, here's where I'm getting at. When Jesus says this in Matthew 7, he says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Would have been really helpful for the illustration if he would have put a window in there, you know, the one who looks in the window. Either way. The reality is Jesus here is calling us to step into a prayerful dependence, a prayerful Persistent dependence on him. He's talking a prayer here. And what is the passage saying? Ask and it's given. Seek, you find. Knock, the door's opened. This is the model of persistent prayer and dependence on God. He follows with this illustration, which we learned helps us see what he's meaning. Which of you then, this is verse 9, If your son asks for bread, and we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven good, give good gifts to those who ask him? See, Jesus, in turn of calling us to persistent dependence through prayer, part of our life to him. And if you don't know what prayer is, prayer is a simple conversation with God. Any one of us can have a prayerful moment, a prayerful conversation, where we stop and reflect and we, in turn, in, in tune, talk with God. There's no formula or a magic scenario. There's no wording, special wording. You can just talk on your own behalf. Even scripture says when you don't know the words to say, the spirit intercedes for you. If, if you believe and trust in Jesus, he does that faithfully. Even so much so around you and the things that you mourn for or hurt for. But prayerful dependence looks like coming frequently to ask, in these case, ask, knock, and seek. And I think of it in that way that God's calling us to come to him and knock and ring and call and text and get in that front window and say, Hey, God, I'm here and I need this. I'm feeling like, God, I'm, I, I need to ask for this. God, I want to see this in my life. God, I want to see this for my friends. But in turn, God then shows us his heart through the illustration. That God has a heart, a loving heart towards me and you, that he wants to give us the gifts in which we ask. And so he says, ask the more. So that means in turn, we get to faithfully ask for the things we need, want, to see a desire for as we're growing in tune with the desires he has for us. We get to seek God in prayer uniquely that he may reveal his heart to you in the process of praying we may not confidently, not as beggars from the side of the street, but yet confidently as those who belong in the house, for we are his and we are his kids. He desires to hear our wants, to hear our needs, to be in tune with us to an extent of us asking. And for parents in the room, you know this to be true, and he uses the illustration for some of you. But even so much so, for those you care for, provision often follows. And you think of those you deeply care for and the way in which you want them to ask so you can provide. You want them to lean in and be knocking at a desire of their hearts so you can come in and help any way you can, for you care. We see that through this process of persistent dependence that God characterizes his followers by, commands us to have... It's more and more revealing the heart for us to begin with. That we, if we are are his kids, that we are his treasure, that we are the ones in which he asks to ask. And the beautiful part about God is that sometimes we don't even need to ask, yet he still provides. But let that not stop us from asking. Let that not stop us from seeking. Stop us from being persistent in our dependence on him. And the unique part about our life is that naturally over time, from the day you were born, which you probably don't remember, to now, you've grown in independence, right, as a person, most likely. (laughs) Some of you parents are like, hey, yeah, you hearing this teenager, you know, sorry teens calling you out, you know, you're just growing in independence, right? Through that process, that's natural for us. Our parents help us form that. I mean, trust me, I am waiting for my kids to... They need to really start using the bathroom on their own. I'm like, i got to be done with these diapers. Independence in the way of using the bathroom needs to come soon. But if you think of our spiritual walk with God, see, when we enter this life, we are sinful. Still are. We are broken. We have a hole that only God can fill in our life. And yet when we encounter Christ, and when we find salvation in Jesus... It's like a flip of the script to where we don't grow in independence in our walk. We actually grow to greater dependence in the way in God created us, designed us to live on him, with him. He says, I'm coming to you to, to mend the broken pieces, to forgive you of your sins, to, to clothe you with righteousness, all of these things. But in a growth into, in a way that you depend on me in everything, that I am the one to fulfill you. I am the one to direct you. I am the one that gives you true life. And so instead of buying into the slogans and what mankind can offer, you can come into me. You can step in to me. You can depend on me. And when we experience that way of provision through the Lord, when it comes to our salvation and eternity of mind, it helps enlighten the way of the time in between. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, As you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath because of that sin. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even though, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And when we recognize the provision in which God gives us for our eternity in mind, we recognize a God with a heart who loves us, we then in turn can grow in greater dependence, my friends. And that if you find your prayer life lacking, that you're not coming to him maybe with any need, or any desire. May you see and recognize a God who loves you and invites you to, who wants to hear, who wants to see, who does ultimately see, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, but wants you to share. That's truly what a heart of God towards us looks like. And we can in turn step into it, into our very greatest, what seems so small to us need. So questions for you. So what for you? Are you walking in humility today? Are you walking in a way that you are humbly correcting those around you and not pridefully swinging the the plank which is outside of your eye? Evaluate an area in your life where you felt you've casted judgment. Or maybe in this next step of thinking the worst of others this next week, if that, that comes to you, maybe in the step of that, you pause and step back and choose humility. Are you depending on God? Am I depending on God? Are you growing in persistent dependence in your every day on a heavenly father who sees you and loves you and commands you to come and ask persistently to him? Are you depending on him or yet have you fallen to independence to just trying hard enough and doing enough? It'll never be enough. He asks you to come to him. What's area? What's an area maybe that you struggle to truly depend on God? Maybe this week, isolate one of those. It could be financial, marital. It could be another friendship. It could be through work uh, circumstance, whatever it might be. A scenario where you really feel you, you dropped the ball on depending on him. What it would look like for you to step in and begin to persistently depend, ask, seek, and knock on him to say, Lord, I need your help in this way. Lord, I need provision in this way. Lord, could, could you show me in this way uh, how, how, how to do this, how to walk with you? And see how he shows up. Matthew seven twelve. in conclusion, Jesus shares this thought, which some of us know as the golden rule, but then we see Jesus saying it's a godly one. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So what will you do? Will you step into humble correction? Will you be an example of persistent dependence on a heavenly Father who loves you and offers good gifts? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for your word. And I praise you for um, just the the joy it is to uh, walk through your word and, and learn from you. And God, I pray that it would have just been that. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us and continue to through our closing song and even into this week. And God, wherever we might be wrestling with uh, humble correction and um, persistent dependence, God, I pray that you would help us see the way in which it is to fully, uh, humbly embrace you and others. And also fully, persistently depend on you above all things. There's nothing of this world, there's nothing that this world can offer Which which we can depend on, like we can you, God. So I pray that you would help us, Father, lean into you this week. Would you help us see you in our everyday? We love you, trust you for the rest of our time. In Jesus' name, amen.